You're listening to the Business with Purpose podcast with your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com. This podcast takes you behind the scenes with some of the world's most generous entrepreneurs, from the CEOs of mission-driven brands to directors of small community nonprofits and everything in between. Molly is sitting down with men and women who believe in changing the world not only through their personal lives, but also their professional careers. And now, here's Molly. Hey guys, I am so excited for today's guest. Today, I have Jessica Honiger, who is the founder and co-CEO of Noonday Collection, an ethical fashion and fair trade brand um, that works with artisans and ambassadors all over the country and all over the globe to spread empowering messages and provide opportunity in vulnerable communities. I can't wait for you to hear our conversation. We, we laugh, we cry, we, we really kind of get to the nitty gritty of what it means to do something about making an impact on this world. You will love Jessica and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hey Jessica, welcome to the show. Thanks, Molly. I'm so excited to get to chat. I have been looking forward to this for quite some time because a few months ago we got to have lunch and that was just so much fun and such a like impromptu lunch date. I know. I couldn't believe that worked out. I was like in Raleigh for 24 hours. I think I texted you that morning or emailed. I don't even know if I had your number at that point. It was like, hey, come meet me. <laughs> I know. Yeah, actually, I think you DM me on Instagram. And I was like, okay, perfect. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. And you were just like, hey, I'm in town. You want to get lunch? I was like, I don't have any plans today. Let's do it. And, Let's and do it. And I got to meet your adorable little baby. You got to snuggle Amos. It was, oh, <laughs> and they brought best. you an entire jar of, or entire container of mayonnaise. It was, <laughs> yeah. It was an exciting lunch. It really was. When you're like, can I have some mayonnaise? And then they bring you this like giant, like Costco Costco sized thing of mayonnaise. So, (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness. Well, Jessica, I have, you know, I will, I'm just going to put this out there. So when I thought of this podcast over a year ago and the idea came to me and I was thinking about who are the people that I want to talk to? Who are the, the, the people that I just you know, who are sort of like, I guess my dream interviewees, like you were like on that top 10 list. <laughs> and I Molly, was just like, <laughs> that is so humbling. I, that's really humbling to hear that. But seriously, I was just like, I'm going to write this. I'm going to, I'm going to put Jessica's name on there and maybe it'll happen. And then, and then you, it was so crazy. Cause then you, you know, in October, you're like, let's get lunch. And I was like, I was like, clearly we're already BFFs. So <laughs> <laughs> Podcast is nothing. That's right. That's I right. It. I love it. Well, um, obviously, so many people are familiar with Noonday, but maybe somebody who is listening is not. Um, but I, you know, have all my guests do this. I have them give the 101. So I would love for you to just give us the Jessica 101. Um, tell us your story and a little bit about yourself and um, kind of all the things that sort of led to where you are today and to, you know, to starting Noonday and the growth of Noonday and all that kind of stuff. And, and we'll, and we'll kind of go from there. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll give the 101 that'll end up being the 302 or whatever. I like it. I you like know, it. it, it's, it is crazy. I feel like life hands us this syllabus that we just don't know <laughs> how, yes. how it's actually going to graduate us into anything. And, you know, my life definitely wasn't pointing to the CEO of a social business. And so I just love to encourage other people with that. Cause I think we automatically look at people that might have 
experienced a little bit of success and we think that, oh, you know, I've missed my boat or I should have been dreaming about that when I was 10 years old. Like we look at it like uh, the Olympics or something. So um, my 101, I was born in San Antonio, Texas, and I definitely displayed um, entrepreneurial interest since a little kid. I would go pick flowers from my neighbor's next door yard and then I'd go home and tie a ribbon around it and then I'd go sell it back to the neighbors <laughs> who I picked it from. And I would, you know, I would make jewelry and I, instead of having lemonade stands, I'd sell jewelry from my front yard and so I definitely had those, you know, beginning interests of, you know, enjoying this idea, this spirit of entrepreneurship. And then in eighth grade is when I traveled to inner city, Washington, D.C. with my church. And we went and worked alongside a church in inner city, D.C. called Church of the Savior. And the founder of that church, his name's Gordon Crosby, and he had marched in Selma and had started this church in D.C. that was really the first of its kind about building racial reconciliation and really being light in the city. And of course, I had not really been exposed to inner city poverty. And so I remember being on like the eighth floor of um, a home for women who were recovering from drug addiction. And this woman just shared her story. She'd been coming out of recovery. She's singing the most amazing rendition of Amazing Grace that I've ever heard. And I'm looking out the window and, you know, they said that this is the largest open air drug market in the U.S. It's two miles from the White House. And so sort of that that instance of injustice and at the same time, that instance of understanding, oh, I come from opportunity and not everybody comes from this. So what can I do then to create opportunity for others? And so that is was definitely my sort of wake up. We have those moments throughout life where we um, we get woke. And that yeah. was definitely mine in the eighth grade. And then I followed that quickly the following year by going to Kenya this, this time again with my church and actually ended up doing construction work on a, a, a building that was going to eventually house a sewing co-op for women, which is crazy if you yeah. think about what I do now. And I think that's when I saw international poverty and realized, oh, wow, okay, there's people that live without running water. There's, you know, five-year-olds that are raising their little brother and sister because their parents don't have opportunity. But on that trip, when I walked through the Kabira slums, which again, if you look at my life now, it's crazy because we actually partner now with a jewelry making group from Kabura. And I walked through the slums and I remember passing this woman who was um, running this brightly colored fruit stand. And it just seemed like this beacon of hope in the middle of, um, for me, what was kind of overwhelming when you kind of are experiencing that international poverty for the first time. And my Kenyan friend said, oh, this is a woman who received a microloan And it's through that microloan that she was able to buy some bananas and then buy some mangoes and then buy oranges. And she began to sell. And now she's running this thriving fruit stand. She's been able to leave her alcohol, her very abusive marriage with an alcoholic husband and now provide for her five children. And, you know, this is way before microfinance loan was a thing. I don't even know if I understood the term, but I got, okay, she got a little bit of cash and now she has a business and that's changed her. That's changed her life. Yeah. So that's something that that really stood out to me too. And so I under, you know, I got kind of lit on fire this this idea that like my life was to be used for creating opportunity for others. But it, 
I didn't know how to channel that. And so I think my only paradigm that I had at the time was like, okay, so then you become a teacher or a social worker, or you go into a helping profession. And if you know me, I am, I'm not really a helper. I'm like, not, I'm not super one of these real, like mercy oriented, like, you know, I mean, I have one of my best friends is a nurse and, you know, she'll come home from work and be like, I got to clean up somebody's throw up today. And it was the biggest honor of my life. And I'm just like, oh, my word. You're like, <laughs> you but that is not, saint, you yeah, know? that is not my thing. <laughs> that is not my thing. Um, but I think especially as a woman growing up in the South, I thought, OK, I, I care about the poor. So my thing needs to be, therefore, loving to clean up throw up or wanting to be <laughs> a teacher. Yeah. And so I did. I began that. I started majoring in social work. I ended up majoring in Latin American studies because I just loved the sort of the Latin American culture and thought, okay, well, if I end up kind of working among the poor, that is such a need in that population in, in Texas. And so I went that route. And then after college, I graduated and then I decided, you know what, I am going to go ahead, even though I think this completely monopolizes any chance of ever getting married <laughs> and I'm going to go move. <laughs> to the mountains of Bolivia and work with the Quechua people with an organization called Food for the Hungry. And I truly did think that I was going to like end my life, you know, by doing this. <laughs> and um, and I, I think my mom did too. I, uh, when I told her this is what I was doing, she hates it when I tell this story. She, I, she said to me, I wish I had another daughter. Now she tells me now that she meant an additional daughter oh. at the time. <laughs> thought it meant like a different daughter. Oh my goodness. <laughs> she says she promises that's not what she meant. But you know, I think you're, you're 21. You're like, I'm moving to South America, Bolivia. No one knows where that is. And, but I did. And I went with an organization called Food for the Hungry. And that's really where I got this comprehensive framework for um, worldview and really understanding the impacts of poverty, really understanding it's not about a handout. Out. It's not about charity. It really is that idea that everyone's made in the image of God. And we are created with infinite creativity. We're created with infinite power. It's just having access to understanding that and how we can light that on fire in these communities. Yeah. And I met my husband <laughs> through the through the process, so through the training. I actually did um, meet. The odds were great for him because it's like twenty girls wanting to go overseas and like two guys. So I met him, and I moved to Bolivia. He moved to Guatemala. I lived in Bolivia for several months, like maybe eight to ten months, and then I moved to Guatemala to kind of get to know him better. And I did teach. I taught in Guatemala and in Bolivia. I was doing nursing. <laughs> so, so, but did you so clean up throw? <laughs> yeah. And it was such a horrible fit. You know, it was a terrible fit. But at the same time, I was, I became fluent in Spanish and I was really exposed to cross-cultural living and yeah. I was really exposed to what, what is it like to um, live in, in these places and understand the complexities that come and living in some of these really vulnerable communities. And so moved back from after working with Food for the Hungry, we were with them for two years. And then we got married and moved back to Austin, which is where I'd gone to college and thought, okay, we'll eventually move overseas again. And we 
just both had that vision for how or can we use our lives to create opportunity for others, but we needed to pay the bills, you know? And so like we, like we sometimes do. And so I just kind of went back to what I thought, okay, well, I'll look for a nonprofit job. And so I did work for a program for kids volunteering, um, or for, for inner city children and did that. And then my husband kind of began working in construction in home construction, which was his background. And then I, I just kind of hit a wall. I I felt sort of burnt out and decided to go get a job selling jewelry in wedding China. So I went to go work at a like super high end store for women buying like $10,000 earrings um, this is during the crazy <laughs> dot com situation. And yeah. so so that was really wild. And then we decided to start flipping houses because, again, this was also during the time when suddenly banks were like handing out loans like like they were peppermints, oh, you know, it was yeah. crazy. So that's when my husband and I really got to cut our teeth on entrepreneurship in the real world and risk, you know, taking oh, on yeah. risk and building a website and building a brand. And, um, you know, we still had all this angst because we still, we'd lived among the poor. We knew we want to create, use our lives to create opportunity for others. So there was still a lot of volunteering that went on along the side, you know, big brothers, big sisters. I was still testing out all of these things, but it really wasn't until noonday where God brought all of what had seemed to be these random you know, streams into this like one, you know, now river (laughs) to use an analogy that is, is now really, um, the, the vocation that I, I am completely committed to now. And so, so that's Noonday Collection. And that was begun after we had been flipping houses, the real estate market tanked. We seriously were going under, we started to live off credit cards, but we had decided to adopt. And we had two kids at the time. We wanted to bring our third home through adoption. It's expensive to adapt and adopt internationally. Yeah. And some of my friends were living in Uganda they said, hey, we are wanting to create opportunity for some entrepreneurs, artisans here in Uganda. Could you create a marketplace for them? I would never have said yes if we had not had been backed into an absolute corner. So even though that corner felt like one of the darkest times of my life where I thought, oh my gosh, we're like putting groceries on the credit card and what's going to be the way out of this, that corner ended up being what launched you know, the biggest, um, joy of, of my life aside from family, of course, um, I have to qualify that. And so that is when I began to just sell these items made by these um, new friends, um, in Uganda out of my home and women began to respond to the product, to respond to the story. Women said, I'll host shows for you in my home. And before you know it, I'd done uh, almost $100,000 in sales that first year after a lot of hustling. And then other women came to me and said, well, I would love to launch this as my own business. So we launched the Ambassador Opportunity, which really is when this became a lot of fun because then I got to then coach other women here in America to become social entrepreneurs for themselves. And really, we became this community of women 
And I just, I look back at there's, it's so crazy for these original women that said yes to me because it was literally, I was selling, you know, scrap gold jewelry at a pawn shop to fund my first website. I mean, it was not legit. And yet these women (laughs) believed in me and they believed in what we were doing. And because of that, we now have 1500 ambassadors around the country and several thousand artisans around the world. And it's been, it's been quite a ride. So that's my 101, but I think it ended up being the 302. I love it. I mean, there's there's so many nuggets there, if you will, that I'm just like, oh, I, want, I need to ask about that. I need to ask. So I'm going to kind of back up just a little bit, um, just because this is a little timely for me. But you had talked about your experience, um, your first time really experiencing international poverty in Kenya. Um, and that speaks to me because that is the where I first experienced international poverty was in Kenya Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um the you know in the world where you're like I'm recording this now when by the time this airs by the time this airs um I will have just returned I actually we're recording this right now I leave on Sunday for Kenya (laughs) oh wow yeah and so I'll be like have just gotten back when this airs and um and I'm going back, and it's just kind of through a bunch of just really crazy circumstances. I'm going back to just kind of, in a lot of ways, answer a call that I feel God put on my life. Um, and, uh, you know, it's one of the – I mean, up until like three weeks ago, I didn't think I was actually going to go. And wow. <laughs> then it's I'm just kind of been a little so whirlwind. I'm so glad you're going. <laughs> Yeah, it's um, it's a little bit of a whirlwind because everybody's like, "Wait, are are you nuts? Like, you have a baby and a toddler, and you know what? You know what are you gonna do? Like, your is your husband gonna like take care of the kids the whole time while you're gone?" And I'm like, "I just have an awesome community of friends and family who are like, we we got the kids. You're good. You go. That's <laughs> like, so good. You That's do this. So good. I love that. I love that. But it's gonna be um. So the the first couple times I went to Kenya, I worked primarily in um, some rural villages or a rural mm-hmm. village in um, about three and a half hours north of Nairobi called um, Kiria, which is in the Aberdare mountain range. And um, right. But this time I'll be working actually with part of the time in um, Karabangi, which is one of the slums. I think it's next to Kibera. I'm, I honestly, I'm not sure exactly like where it is in, in kind of relation to where Kibera is. But I guess I just kind of wanted to talk with you a little bit about that, just your experience, because that can be so jarring. Like, because I, it's, I grew up right outside of DC. So I, okay. I, wow. you know, I, and I grew up in a school where, I mean, it was pretty much majority minority. Um, uh-huh. I mean, it was just very, or I would say 50, 50. Um, so I, I was very accustomed, accustomed to American poverty in a lot of ways. Right. If that's, if right. that makes sense. Cause my mom did a lot of stuff in DC. So I went to DC all the time, but the first time I stepped foot in Africa and in Kenya specifically, I, it, it's a feeling that I just can't really describe to people. Um, what was it about that experience that you, that was beginning to really fuel your passion for really changing the lives of others and providing opportunity for others in, you know, internationally that, that can also kind of, you know, have that ripple effect to um, making a positive impact here as well. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, there is just something about Africa. There just is. And it gets in your blood. And at the time, is this your first time to go back? This is my, this will be my third time going, but this will be my first time going back since I had kids. Okay. Wow. Yeah. 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 I went back, um, it was two years ago since I was 16. And so that it was, it was so crazy to to go back and kind of come full circle yeah. now it, with the ability to have created something that can is now really making an impact there. Yeah. But I just I do think that there, you know, it's it's so hard, Molly, because you know, we have a child from Rwanda and I'm all about an empowering story. Yeah. And really and to me that empowering story comes from we are all image bearers of God. We are all created with the same creativity, the same creator, the same power. And and to me, that means that we can access entrepreneurship and we can access all of these things within people, no matter where they live and the circumstances that they're in, the physical circumstances, you know, those, that's what we want to help create, you know, kind of remove some of those walls that, that they were born into that, that we weren't just by being born into America. And so it's hard hard because I want, I hate telling the stereotypical, like, you know, well, I saw kids without, you know, wearing shoes and I, it was dirty and it, because I want to paint this empowering story. But I have to say a couple of weeks ago, we had someone come over to our home who is running a foster care help here in Austin. And we are wanting to come alongside this organization and provide basically you adopt a foster family. And so this woman is sitting down with my kids and she is paying, she's saying, you know, she's looking at my little boy, Jack, who's adopted and he's laying on his dad's lap. And she's like, so many kids don't have laps to lay on. And that's the family that we're wanting you to adopt. Mm-hmm. And she ended up painting this story where like my kids were like almost in tears. My daughter that night was like, mommy. And I'm like, oh my gosh, have you, has nothing I've ever said gotten through to you? And I think it is because sometimes I can try to sort of reframe things in this very empowering way. Yeah. But at the same time, yes, there is something about international poverty in a that especially in, in Africa and some of these very war-torn places that it's destitute, you know, yeah. there, there really are, um, there's, there's a destitution. I, I met a little girl named Mary, you know, and I remember her, they had had to flee because there had been sort of a tribal fight. Her dad had been lynched and now she was here in this village and her mom didn't have money for her to go to school. Well, I didn't know that in other countries you actually have to pay to get an education. Yeah. You know, so it was, it was so much of that. And, um, I think that was when I just, I saw there's so many beautiful things about America as broken as America is, you know, as broken as our justice system is and as broken as so many things are there, there are so many nets for people to fall into that just absolutely aren't there in some of, in some of these other places. And that, that wakes me up and that, that makes me feel responsible. I feel an ownership for that. And I feel an ownership to do what I can to do something about that. And so I, I think that that is absolutely what, what it did for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I like what you said about you try to paint very much. You spend a lot of, you, you take a lot of effort to 
paint a very empowering picture. Um, and I, that is something I've tried to do too. And then, but then I try to remember that, you know, the majority of Americans and the majority of people in my circle of influence, like they're never going to go to Kenya and you can only, it changes people when you go there and you see it. And so I'm like, I almost feel personally responsible to try and do the best I can to not only explain what's going on, but then also, but then kind of, it's like for them to understand like how empowering something is. I'm like, I almost want to, this sounds so terrible and I really don't mean it like this, but like you want to really paint this very, the, the dark picture of what reality yeah. is in yeah. order for them to truly impre- appreciate the, what the empowerment does. If that, I don't know if I'm articulating that right. No, it's, <laughs> it's absolutely true. And I think from having that woman come to our home and kind of paint that, that needed picture for my yeah. kids to really understand was really good for me. Cause it was like, okay, just because I tell this sad, really hard, tragic piece, you know, doesn't mean that I'm diminishing their story, but it is, it is telling the full story so that we can understand how we can be activated to then take a part in that. Cause these are our sisters. These are our brothers, you know, their dreams are the same as mine. And I think that, I think that's one of the hardest things to actually comprehend is you hear about the suffering and you somehow want to think, well, um, a mom experience, you know, having to take her child to an orphanage because she's completely destitute, that somehow that's, that would feel less for her or different, but to, to take in that, like, no, we, we have the same human emotion and the same soul. And so it's, it's a lot to actually take in. But I think when we take that in, that leads us then to respond, which is really where, which is really where it matters, right? Is response. And response yeah. is not just posting something on Facebook or re quoting an article on Syria. Like response is making a sacrifice. Response is giving. Response is giving our time. It's giving our resources. It's um, you know, starting something, it's advocating. Yeah. I am one of those very weird people. Like, are you a reader? Do you like to read? <laughs> I love to read. You're like, I love to read. I love to read. Oh, wait, you you actually posted on Instagram just the other day, like a stack of books. I was like, Uh, oh, I need to, I need to write down which, because I've been like thinking about what books I want to read this year. I'm laughing because I'm addicted to buying books. And so it (laughs) looks like I read a lot more than I do. It's embarrassing. I'm like, how many times do I walk up after work? And I'm like, there's the Amazon box. I'm like, okay, which book is in that? I don't know. Yeah. Well, the reason I ask that is I am one of those very, um, like some people really love fiction and I like fiction, but I am actually, I love nonfiction, but more specifically, like I love memoirs. Um, I can eat up a memoir and I can just, I I mean, I can just binge read some, you know, a memoir in, you know, a night, but I, and I don't know why, cause I, I mean, I'm one of those people that I am I mean, I, I used to do comedy. Like I'm a, like I'm a like joyful person, but I like to read these like gut wrenchingly sad memoirs. Yeah. But yeah. but I think part of it is because the memoirs I like to read tend to have these stories. Like some some of the ones that stick out in my um, mind is um, "A Long Way Gone." Have you read that one about the boy soldier? 
Um, no, I have not. Oh my goodness. Oh my I'm goodness. Writing it down right now. It's so good. It's called A Long Way Gone. I cannot remember the name of the author off the top of my head. I can Google it. Um, but it's A Long Way Gone, and it's about um, you know one of the boys who um, I believe he was in Sierra Leone was um, kidnapped as like at like six or seven and turned into a boy soldier. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, and and so it's like his story. I mean, like he goes back to like his own village and like kills people from his village and stuff. It's, it's just, crazy. I mean, it's this really crazy story. But then at the end, like he gets he gets out of it and he gets rescued. Now he lives here in the United States. Like he's gone to college. Like he does all wow. this speaking. Like and his story of redemption is just so impactful. Um, and then there's another one, um, that I've read called, and it's, I mean, just from the title, it's called first they killed my father. (laughs) Yes. That's Rwanda, isn't it? Um, no, it's the Cambodia, the genocide in Cambodia. Okay. Yes. 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 And it is, um, but it's another one where just like the, it's, you know, from the perspective of this girl who was, you know, affected by the genocide in Cambodia and they killed her family. I mean, just, and just terrible things. But now, but then it ends, you know, sort of, you hear her story of redemption, redemption. And now she, yes. again, she travels yes. and she speaks and she's so inspiring. And I think it's, it's one of those things where her redemption story in the end wouldn't be as impactful if I hadn't heard all the things that she went through to get there. It's true. Absolutely. Yeah. And I just, I think that that is, um, that's something that, you know, I try to, um, like you were saying, you know, so, so often we have to just, what's our response to that? Um, right. Because so often people can be like, oh, that's, that's a really terrible story or, oh, that, that poverty that's happening and on the other side of the world, that's really sad. Or, oh, there are people that are experienced, you know, are, victims of human trafficking right in our own backyard. Um, That's really sad. And then people say, somebody should do something about that. Or you'll hear like, why would God let that happen? And and I think about the fact that I'm like, God didn't let, like, if you don't act on it, if you don't respond to it, we are letting that happen. Right, right. I love this Gary Haugen quote from IJM. He's the founder of IJM, and he said, Something like God has an answer for injustice and it's you. Yes. You know, and, and I do, you know, I do think it's so important. We just read the hiding place by Corey ten boom out loud to our children, which that is an old classic, but Corey's story is they hid, you know, Jews in their home during the Holocaust. And then she ended up, you know, actually serving or not, you know, doing time in a concentration camp, lost almost all of her family. I mean, it is heart wrenching. My my kids are, you know, seven, eight, and ten. Yeah. But I'm wanting them to again understand like the injustices of the world and how they can be a part of that injustice. So I do think there is a lot to sort of subjecting ourselves to be staying awake by reading and by reading these memoirs. And because if you just want, I think Americans, we want to bubble wrap our lives and Mm -hmm. we want to just stay bubble wrapped. And there, there are things we can do to sort of rip off that bubble wrap and live this vulnerable life. that's meant to be lived in, in creating opportunity for other people. And yeah, if you never hear the stories, then you're never going to have the ability to respond to anything. Yeah. And so I really, I really like that point, you know, that, that unless we hear, unless we, unless you go to Kenya so that you're able to share 
what is happening in these other areas of the world and people don't have anything to respond to. Agreed. I, I was thinking about that song. It's on, it's really popular on K-Love. It's that song by Matthew West, Do Something, where he's like, um, I woke up this morning, saw a full, world full of trouble. And then he's like, I, you know, people living in poverty, children sold to slavery. And he shook his, his fist at heaven. He says, God, why didn't you do something? And he said, I did. I created you. Yes. And um, that whole I mean, that's what that song is about is like is when we sit there, and we shake our fist at God and like, why didn't you do something? And he's like, um, I did. I created you I so that yes. you can be my hands and feet and actually go out and and change, um, make a change, make a change. And, you know, I do think it's important for us to understand that that change might mean something bigger, like starting a social business. Yeah. But it also means you know, walking across the street to our neighbor who might be elderly and doesn't have anyone coming and visiting them, you know, or it might mean volunteering for, to serve with a foster family or, you know, you know, giving to international justice mission, which we gladly do. So I think that, you know, there's so many different levels of engagement and those can change throughout the seasons of your life. But certainly, um, we are all meant to do something. I, I'm reminded in college when I took sociology 101 and learned about the bystander effect. Yeah. Which, you know, is that oftentimes pe- the more people are, that are around a crisis, the, the more likely that person in the crisis is going to die because people assume someone else is going to come and help. Yep. And so we, and I love my ambassador community, we, there are no bystanders in my community, yeah. you know, like these are women who are showing up for one another. They're showing up for their sisters across the globe. They're showing up for their community. And as women, when we show up for one another, that is where there's that synergy to really change the world in which we live in. And be that answer that God has created us to be. Yes, I love that. And I love what you said, too, how it, our actions or our, quote unquote, doing something is going to look different for everybody. Like not, not everybody is going to be the founder of a noonday collection. <laughs> not mm-hmm. everybody yeah. is going to travel to Africa. Not everybody is going to do something, you know, grand. Um, and that's but that's OK. And that's actually something that I love that's one of the purposes actually of this podcast is just is to show people through talking with different types of creatives and different types of entrepreneurs and different types of people, you know, what is it like to make an impact and have a purpose and um, change the world through our own circle of influence, no matter what we do, whether we are, you know, the CEO of a, a, a large brand or whether we are just an influencer on Instagram or whether we are a wedding photographer or, you know, an author, you know, whatever we are called to do, we can make an impact in our own communities and in our own circles in the way that is the way that we were meant to do it. That's right. Yes, absolutely. So I want to talk a little bit more about Noonday. Um, And you you know, you, part of why you started Noonday was because you guys were adopting. Um, yes. And so how did that look in that, what, you know, when, when you really, you and your husband really stepped out in faith to, to launch this business and, um, you know, as a, you know, part of, you know, funding your adoption um, and working with this artisan group in, in Uganda, because you said Uganda was actually the first one that you guys worked with. 
right? Yes. Yeah. And so what did that look like in the beginning? And then when did it really start to expand? And what was the next community you guys worked with? What did that look like? Yeah. So it was, you know, so organic and it, it actually still is very organic. And it's me DMing you on Instagram and saying, <laughs> let's meet for lunch. Right. I love so it. that's, it's such a relational business, yeah. but it started with me setting up a Western Union account and really crossing my fingers that this young couple in Uganda was going to send me some jewelry. And so, yeah, that's, uh, a, that's uh, a step of faith. Yeah. Yeah. And so they did. And I just began selling that out of my home. And then I began finding other artisan groups. It was either through relationships or through other friends. Oh, I used to live in Guatemala and I, there's this group of women I'm working with that makes scarves or, Oh, I work in Ethiopia. Um, or it was also through, there was a trade show that one of my friends was going to at the time. And she would go collect business cards and say, Hey, this is a fair trade organization I've heard, heard of. So at first it was me just curating goods. Aside from Uganda, we would do some design work there, but it was really me curating from other smaller, either artisan businesses or fair trade wholesale companies here yeah. in the U.S. And it was just, it was hustle. It was me asking every single person I knew, can you open your home to host a show? And then within a few months, that's when I had women, hey, I, that were saying, I'm trying to raise money for my adoption too, or I'm really wanting to do something to connect me to the world. Can I just start a noonday here? And I had set up the website so that it could have an affiliate link. And I kind of, actually, this is really crazy, but um, it was about 10 months into noonday where I realized, okay, this is not just a fundraiser. This is definitely this has got legs. Yeah. And I think I realized that from, because of the response, the market was responding and because other women were wanting to become ambassadors and, and say yes and, and do this as well. And then that was rapidly growing because I was multiplying myself. So suddenly I've got, you know, like 10 Jessica's out there selling and I'm like, Oh crap. You know, I'm, we're just really, we're not set up. We're not set up with an infrastructure for that. And so at that point I began to go, okay, I need some cash. I need some people. So I began to pray for an angel investor, which I literally thought an angel investor was someone that just gave you money. Like <laughs> just wrote a check. Yeah. <laughs> I literally have prayers written down. They're like, can you give me an angel investor God? And like, could I, I'm just praying for like 50 K to show up in my mailbox and then I can hire someone to help me with all of sort of that, just the, the back end, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, I eventually asked a friend of mine who I had met during another trip to Africa and Hey, he, I knew he had a business background and I said, can you meet with me and kind of go over my numbers? I know I'm selling like crazy, but is this really have sort of a profitability here? So his name's Travis. And I began to meet with him at like six in the mornings, literally just like, give me, get some advice. And after a few weeks, he said to me, Hey, I've always wanted to run a business and my wife and I have saved up you know, they had three kids, but they'd been saving up a nest egg for him to either invest in a company or live off of a salary while he started something. But he realized he wasn't really a starter. He really wanted to come alongside someone else. And so yeah. he asked if he could be my business partner. And that was really when that was next level, because at this point, sure, I had risked a lot of my time. Um, I had, you know, sold 
like my entire closet of anthro clothes and <laughs> all of my gold jewelry in order, in order to fund the website and any sort of startup costs. But to have someone else say, I'm going to go live off my savings account because I believe in you, that was next level. And yeah. that that was a lot of sleepless nights for me to really commit because that that that's when I knew I, I'm committing to this. This isn't a side hustle. This is a this is a commitment. And of course, at, at that time, then my friends, Jolia and Daniel, who had I, my Ugandan entrepreneurs, they had started to hire people. So of course, there comes that level of responsibility of like, okay, you know what, am I just going to drop this? Um, because at the time, they weren't supplying to anybody else. And so it was largely dependent upon the marketplace I was creating here. And so that is when we decided to really go for it and really professionalize the business and really create um, something that was um, going to be viable for the long term. And, you know, looking back almost seven years later, I can say that having that long term grit and tenacity and knowing like no matter the hard times that come, this is the vision that God's given us. And what I was going to say is, I found a prayer that I wrote on my computer when I was deciding if Travis was going to be my business partner or not, because I was freaking out. I mean, I think I knew I was going to, that I was signing my life away in, in a way, you know, um, to making this work. Yeah. And I wrote on my computer and this is when we're, we're meeting in the guest room of my house. That's my office. You know, my website's built on pond jewelry. And I wrote to God and I said, I want New Day Collection to be the largest fair trade social selling brand in America. I want to start a movement of women here in America who can use their business as a, as a ministry to women in their community. I want Jolia and Daniel to be able to create a movement of women in their community where they're raising people up out of poverty. And it is just so crazy the things that I wrote that are now in front of me. And I just think you can't diminish those things that God puts on your heart and puts in front of you. And I think when you can see those things as a reality, even when they aren't, that is absolutely what's enabled us to to get to where we are today. I love that. I love that. And I can just say from my own experience that you are making an impact because my first real introduction into what fair trade meant was at a noonday at a, my friend Diana had hosted this fair trade fashion party. She had our friend Aaron had brought some baskets from the Mighty River Project. She had had like a little box of some stuff from Seiko Designs. And then um, her friend Brandy Mendenhall had, oh. had brought all her noonday stuff. Now, this is in spring of 2012. So this is not, this is like maybe a year, I guess, after you guys launched the ambassador program. Because yep, I think you guys, it yep. was like 2011, right? Yep. Yeah. And up until that point, I had now I had gone to Kenya. And so, you know, Kenya was when um, my the first time I went to Kenya, I had um, one of the things that we did towards the end of the trip was we had toured um, the Kazuri bead factory there. Yes. Um, I love, love, love 
the Kazari Bead Factory. And that was my first time really getting um, a little bit of a taste as to what it looked like to see, you know, an artisan group with opportunity and things like that in action. Um, But even even after that, I still didn't fully understand what it meant to buy fair trade or what it meant to buy something that was ethically made. Like I kind of just assumed that like fair trade meant like coffee and tea. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, and I remember sitting in my friend Diana's living room and listening to Brandy share the stories of these artisans, the the stuff that she had had from Noonday there. And I was and I I truly was like, okay, this is this is something I really like. I feel very drawn to. I feel very Mm. empowered by. I mean, this is something that I really want to 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 learn more about. And so that actually that. that um, you know, party was the the real the beginning of sort of the journey that I have been on to really encourage others to purchase with purpose and 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 shop ethically so awesome. and, and learn from there and yeah. So I, I love just, that. I, I love think that. That's so cool. <laughs> and I, it is so cool, and that's why I love our business model so much. I was at the airport last week and I saw a woman, you know, walk by me wearing Noonday, and my first thought was. I wonder what trunk show she was at. I wonder who her ambassador is. Like it's such a communal purchase because you're, you're also empowering women here in the U S and I think about Brandy, who was one of our first ambassadors who then you had that interaction with. And now she has something called the fair trade fashionistas because she's on fire for fair trade. And, and it really is this, uh, I just love being in this industry of direct sales because it is such a relational industry where we're able to share not just, um, you know, we're able to share the story behind yes. the product in yeah. a really authentic setting where it really can change people like you yeah. or like can send you on this new path. And it's, it's so powerful and so yes. fun. And I have some so dear friends. to see where all this go, this is going, yes. you know, because I feel like we haven't even scratched the surface. I know. And now I, and now I have some, uh, some really dear friends who are Noonday ambassadors. And so I love, um, supporting their business and spending sometimes a little, maybe a little too much money. It's totally fine. It's totally fine. But yeah. And I love what you said too, about that. That's one of the positive things about direct sales too. And I think it, it really frustrates me when people speak so poorly about direct sales when they don't understand it, mm-hmm, because I'm mm-hmm. like direct sales is actually a really great, business model it's empowering it's positive it's not a pyramid scheme Mm -hmm. (laughs) like I'm like that is not what a direct sales is and I I love that you are like no direct sales is great and it's empowering and it's it's it connects people and it's relational yes I, I I wish more people would would talk about that aspect of of businesses like that because People think that like, oh, it's just, you know, it's just a bunch of people trying to peddle stuff on Facebook. And I'm like, no, that's like, not no. what it is at all. It's women showing up for one another. It's awesome. Yes. Yes. I love it. I love it. Um, well, I, I mean, I could seriously talk to you all day long. Um, but so, but as we start to wrap up here, I always like to ask just a couple of fun questions to get to know my guest a little bit more um, and a little bit of a different you know, different way. So name one of the best compliments you've ever received. I always like to ask people this question. You know, I, gosh, that is hard, right? Because we're sort of raised to not talk about ourselves. (laughs) 
tough one, Molly. Come on, I'm from the south. No, but We're I think it, I think women. it's good though, because it's hard though. It's hard to accept a compliment. It's it like is. it's it's it a lot of times we receive a compliment and we're like no and we try to deflect and I've been trying to do yeah. better about just yeah. saying thank you and like that really means a lot or something because I I am totally guilty of like receiving a compliment and being like no and trying to shoot it back. Right. Okay. Well, I'll give you one because it's um kind of an abstract one, but I was sharing something the other night with a friend of mine who is, is also a therapist. And I was telling him about this moment where my daughter opened up to me about something that was going on that really freaked me out. It was kind of, it was kind of about her faith and questioning and all this stuff. And, and his first response was just like, wow, she trusted you. Like, do you know the intimacy and trust that it took for that moment? And I think that moment of realizing like I've created hopefully, and it's such a work in progress, but a space for vulnerability and connection to happen. I just, I value those things so much. So to to see that happen within my family, um, with, with my kids coming to me with hard things. And I know I certainly didn't go to my, my parents with, and then see that to happen within my tribe of ambassadors and this, this exercise of, of vulnerability, which then creates a path for empathy, which creates a path for healing. I think that is something that I really am most proud of in this whole noonday journey is, is that. Yeah, no, I love, I love that. That it, that is definitely a huge compliment. Um, when you are not working on noonday stuff, what are, what do you, and I know as a, as a business owner, I know it's hard to like shut off the business mindset, um, and to kind of, you know, take off our business hat and put on like our, you know, personal life hat, but what, what what do you do to recharge and to just take time for yourself or, you know, spend with your family? What do you, you know, what do you like to do just for fun? Just for fun. Yeah. You know, it's, I love connecting with friends. I love dinner. I love going out to eat and just long conversations and interesting conversations really fill me up. And I also enjoy just getting to know people, new people that are different than me. And, and then I also just have rhythms, uh, structures in my life um, that kind of, I, I don't like to run really hard, crash, and then have to like spend a month recharging. So yeah. I really, try to have, um, spiritual rhythms in my life. So time with God every single day, I've started uh, something new this year, uh, 10 minutes in complete silence with God. And then I'm also realizing that recharging comes from spending less time online. So not getting on the internet until the kids are gone and I'm at work and, trying to leave the phone in my car between the hours of five and eight. I think that those, I am meeting with a group of friends right now where we're all sort of trying to create more structure in our lives that will lead to spiritual transformation. And many of them are on sort of tech, not fast. Cause we know that, you know, especially if you, if this is your job, you, you can't leave it. But I think I'm such a rationalizer. I can always use the excuse. I can always be answering an email. I can always be getting online and checking in with the community. And so really having guardrails around that is creating a sense of daily 
recharging for me. Yeah. It's, um, I, I don't know if it was like a month ago or something you had, I think it was on Instagram or Insta stories where you had shared that you were doing that, where you were putting your phone away from five to eight. Um, and my husband and I actually, as our new year's resolution, and even though we don't really do new year's resolution, I guess goal, our new year's yeah. goal. Cause I don't really like to say resolutions. I know, I know. <laughs> um, we are doing the same thing where, when he gets home from work, from the time he gets home from work until the kids are in bed, we put our phones in like phone jail. And that has been, I mean, we're just, I mean, we're only like, you know, a couple weeks into the new year, but so but far that still, it's made a huge difference. A huge isn't difference. Isn't it crazy? Yes. I, it's really crazy. And I don't know if we can fully explain it, you know, but yeah. um, I know for me, I love like, I love excitement and intimacy and like everything has to be an event but those hours from five to eight are like the most ordinary hours of your entire life and so those are the hours that are hardest for me to be present for and yet those are the hours that like my kids are going to remember forever Mm -hmm. you know and so I don't want them to remember that mommy was on her phone you know and so it takes intention for me it's it's not easy and but it certainly I think is something that cultivates rejuvenation, you know, so I love that. I'll check in with you in a few months and see how it's going. Yes. Yes. Also you and Brandy are the ones that got me onto the, is it the Enneagram? Yes. <laughs> yes. Cause it's you so guys addictive, right? at lunch, at lunch that day, you guys, you're, you were both like, you have to go home and you have to tell us your number. So I'm a two. I'm a two. Okay. So it's the, All what right. the, the helper, right? Yes. Yes. So, <laughs> I love to. And what is your what is your number? I'm a seven with a an seven. eight wing. Ooh, an eight wing. I don't know if I oh, have a yeah. wing. I don't. I think you might have a wing. I I probably do. I'm still like I'm still new to the enneagram, so I've been trying to like listen to some of the podcasts and and. <laughs> I think you probably have a three wing, which is the achiever, because oh. I think it'd be hard to do everything that you do without having sort of that drive to achieve. Yeah, I definitely I I. I definitely would. As soon as I got the two, I was like, yeah, that's me. Cause like, I'm always <laughs> like, I'm just the person who's I, I'm, I've always been a people pleaser, <laughs> like, but right. sometimes to my own detriment, well, a lot of times to my own detriment, but I'm working on that. But just, yeah, I'm, I am, I know that I'm both very driven, but also I just, I really want to help people. So I'm always yeah. like, yeah, sure. Okay. Um, well, that's cool about twos with the three wings is they are driven to help others achieve. Oh, Interesting, but you can you lose yourself in that, and twos can also they have that strong need to be needed. Oh yeah, no, that's definitely I would I would agree. Can hear to the unhealthy. Yeah, and for people listening, they're like, "What is this enneagram? It's like a per, it's like a personality. <laughs> I mean, it's a, there's a whole like cult thing. It's <laughs> a cult, but man, it's so powerful, especially like in leadership. You know, I just find the less ignorant I am about myself and my all my ish. Yeah, you know, the, the stronger a leader I can become because yes. it's just self awareness is is you just can't underestimate it. Yes. And I am, I am, that is something I have gotten. I've always been pretty good at, but I've definitely, as I've entered into my thirties and as my, my dad's, he's like, you're well into your thirties now. And I'm like, okay, dad, I'm like, <laughs> I'm 31. Like I'm not well into my thirties, but my, I don't know. My no. dad likes to say that. Um, but definitely as I've gotten into my thirties, like I would, I'm, much more self-aware than I used to be. But you were like you and Brandy had warned me. You're like, when you take that quiz, like there are some questions that you get to and you're like, 
Oh, I don't know if I like, (laughs) I don't know if I like my answer, but I know this is my answer. Yeah, it's true. It's scary. So I have to both thank you and kind of curse you at the same time for for introducing me and opening the wormhole that is the Enneagram. Yes. Yes. Well, you're welcome. You're welcome. It's cool. It's cool. No, I love it. I love it. Um, Well, Jessica, how can people connect with you best online? If people want to find out more about you or Noonday Collection, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Yeah. So my Instagram is Jessica Honiger and that's two G's and one N. And then Noonday Collection, we'd love for people to connect with us online. We have a really fun online community. And then, of course, we are really still looking for ambassadors. And these are women who we want to join us in being social entrepreneurs. And then we're looking for hostesses who will open their homes for these social entrepreneurs. And so you can go to NoondayCollection.com. And if you're interested in joining, you can click join. If you're interested in hosting, you can click host. And I'd love to find you online. I love it. I love it. Jessica, thank you so much for taking time out of what I know is a busy schedule to to just kind of share your story and just I know how much it's going to impact people. And like I said, you really have no idea the impact that you've had in so many different ways because, I mean, if it weren't for Noonday, you know, who knows where – I would be in my fair trade and ethical purchasing journey. And I mean, who knows where, where things would have gone if I hadn't gone to that party where Brandy was. So, I mean, who, who knows? Well, I think it's because you know that you are the answer and now you're catalyzing others um, towards the same thing. So it's fun to, fun to be a part of the movement with you. I love it. Thank you, Jessica. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Molly. Bye. Okay, guys, how awesome was my conversation with Jessica? I love her. I just, I adore her. I think she has just such an amazing heart. And every time I talk to her, I feel I'm left feeling inspired and empowered. And I just want to run out and conquer the world. So thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for tuning in. You have no idea how much the comments and the emails and the 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 tweets and the, the shares mean to me. Um, if you would take a moment to go to iTunes and leave a review, I would just climb through your device and hug your neck. Not actually, that would be weird. Um, but I would just, I, it really means the world to me. And share the podcast with a friend. If you, you think that there's somebody out there that you would like um, to hear this show, I would love it if you would share the show with them. You can subscribe on iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher, wherever podcasts are heard. Um, you can also visit my blog at stillbeingmolly.com and click the podcast tab to hear all the past episodes. I hope you guys have a great rest of your week and I'll see you guys next time. Bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.